Disclaimer. Please do not email us about the historical inaccuracies we are sure to make. We are not historians. We are idiots. Welcome to Anachronismo. I'm Max. I'm Noel. And I'm Jackie. And today, I'm going to be talking to you about a bet that settled the nature of what goes into red dye. Eh. Oh. Nope. You go. Eh. He's looking at me. He's mad <laughs> that I kind of cut him off. Nah, I, I didn't have anything tell. to say. I can tell. I'm going to be talking about two animals... With human jobs. Those jobs, doctor and lawyer? No. Welder. Nope. Dog catcher. Nope. Face licker? Nope. Mayor. No. That's current. That's current. Oh, yeah, there is a dog mayor. Yeah, he just got reelected. Yeah. (laughs) No, he literally, he got reelected like last week. He's a good boy. I don't not believe it. And there's a, a cat train station manager in Japan. Or there was until it died. Ooh, yeah, and you hit on it. Oh, I got your thing? One of them. Oh, nice. Uh, Bear Soldier. Yes. Yes. You hit both of them. Great. Great. (laughs) I'm back. I've never heard of this story before. (laughs) It's not like we were talking about it beforehand. (laughs) Hey, Noel, is that your thunder over there? Here, let me walk away with it. I'm back. No regrets. So, uh, I'll get us started, I guess. Should we guess what we think is in? Oh, sure. Uh, so, what do you think is in uh, cochineal? Cochineal. Uh, can I have the origin? No. Can I have it used in a sentence? Used in a sentence. This cochineal has made for a fine red dye. Insects? Damn it. Yes. Oh, yeah. That's like uh, the be- beetle chitin. Yep, that's the one. Well, not it's not chitin, interestingly. No, it's the carbolic acid that's expressed when you squeeze them. Oh. Yeah, it's their guts and juices. That's, like, still used in food dye and stuff, It's right? still used in a lot of stuff. It's still used today, and it makes some of the finest red dye on Earth and the most lasting. There are paintings that have been painted with cochineal and clothes that have been dyed with it uh, hundreds and hundreds of years ago that are still as bright today as they were when they were dyed. That's so cool. Yeah, it's very cool. But in the 1700s, it wasn't as well known, and in fact was very unknown what cochineal was. But it was still used widely throughout Europe. It made the best red dyes. Uh, it was, uh, like, really expensive because, you know, rich people all wanted their shit to be all dyed red. It's like the royal color. It fetched really high prices at auction, and nobody knew what was in it. It was a secret of Spain's colony. So I'll launch into this. I'm going to have to make some touch-ups because I wrote up a whole thing of flow of this that relied on not knowing what cochineal was. So I'm going to stumble a little bit. Oh, maybe just, like, on a scale of one to five, like, how much this will make us be mad at colonialism. This one's not so bad. Oh, okay. Yeah. Actually, cochineal was, well... Exported fairly? No. No, it was still colonialism. But it wasn't as ruinous. So, okay, here's the thing. When Spain in the first place conquered the regions cochineal comes from, they killed almost everybody, but not everybody, everybody. And they would have done that anyway if they hadn't known about cochineal, because they were after gold and silver. They just didn't think about trading in it for a long time, because they had a really bad, actually a very evil system of basically slavery and all but name, 
where they exploited the people who lived on the land that they stole. Uh, and they all stole it, like, really short-term, basically just, like, looted it because they only had these, like, because the people who were granted these land rights only had it for, like, three years at a time. Oh, that's so, so short they, for they, a land grant. They were all focused on short-term games. And Cochineal takes longer to cultivate and all sorts of stuff. So for a long time, Spain didn't really get into the whole Cochineal cultivation business. It wasn't until much later in their whole thing they realized, oh, this is a really great trading commodity and dye stuff, and we can use it to, like, pay off our armies and shit. But that's not the focus of this story. The focus of the story does benefit from colonialism, and colonialism is very bad. <laughs> I'm not defending colonialism, no. Um, uh, Max, then why do you have your t-shirt that says, I love colonialism on it? This is an audio medium. I didn't think it would come up. Mm-hmm. Well, you're, you're wearing your I Eat Babies t-shirt. So. Uh, I borrowed this shirt from you, Max, Damn and you it. never asked for it back. So. And Jackie's wearing her Make America Great Again hat. <laughs> See? See? This is what happens. You pushed me too far. I wasn't even in this fight. <laughs> yeah, Max, this fight is between you and you. Welcome to the Thunderdome, Max. And himself. That's me. Max and myself. In the red corner. <laughs> and now, running quickly over to the blue corner while changing his shorts, it's Max! Everyone who goes to Thunderdome sees someone's ass. That's just the rules. I want That's a good, go. non-existential fight, you guy. Great. Great. We're having a great time. We've gotten a little bit into the background of Cochenio. It's made the best red dyes. It's made using the carbolic acid expressed by the uh, Cochinella insects. Uh, not Coachella insects, that's a different insect. They express rap. Um, and it was, and still is, produced in South America. And at the time, only Spain ex- imported it from its colonies. It arrived in the old world, in Europe, in big crates in the shape of little black nuggets that you would soak in vinegar or water or tempura or acid or whatever to extract a fine, deep burgundy color. It's just like Easter eggs. Yeah. You put the little pellets in a mixture of water and vinegar. In a way. Uh, except this was worth... So much money. So much more money. Lots of Cochineal regularly sold for incredibly high prices, and ships carrying it as cargo were regularly targeted by pirates because a hold full of Cochineal could set a crew up for years. In fact, there was a a history of privateering just for Cochineal to, like, help England support its navies. Uh, And, like, there was one one count who was, like, made, like, a hero of the realm because he stole just so much Cochineal. (laughs) But that's not what we're talking about today. Wait, so other countries sponsored pirates to... That's what privateering is. Privateering. Privateers are pirates with letters from their native government saying, attack our enemies and steal their shit. This is all legal. All of this made the secret of what Cochineal was a very important one. Spain was tight-lipped on the subject, seeing as how it made an enormous portion of its wealth from the trade of the dye. And the rest of Europe... The debate about what Cochineal was was split and passionate. Whoever could figure out its nature could figure out how to steal it, basically, from Spain and, like, make it in uh, in Europe and make their fortune. But the thing is, people couldn't even agree if it was a plant or an animal. So, interestingly, microscopes had been invented at the time, and Cochineal had even been investigated through microscopes. But, you know, they were pretty early microscopes. They were cloudy, you couldn't really focus them. And they really, really required a lot of interpretation of the shapes you saw. In fact, there were several studies done specifically in the Cochineal by Anthony van Leeuwenhoek, who was kind of a microscope prodigy. He was an uneducated man who was, like, not even a nobleman. He heard about microscopes, and he figured out 
And he taught himself glass blowing and he taught himself all this like lens grinding stuff. And he just made what were the best microscopes at the time using methods that we still don't 100% understand today, which he refused to share because he saw it as his one edge. <laughs> um, he figured if anyone else knew how to make these microscopes, he wouldn't be able to still be part of like the scientific community, which he, he was accepted as a big part of because of the discoveries he made through his unique microscopes. That's so cool. It's very cool. Wouldn't he have been more accepted in the scientific community if he contributed to their, the technology and like the improved? But he was an unlearned man, so they could have just kicked him out once he told them how to do it. Oh. He was afraid that they would. Um, this was during the early Enlightenment, and the whole spirit of scientific inquiry and collaboration was growing, but it was still kind of hard to let go of the traditions of the past. Still a rich guy. Uh, eventually, eventually he got there. So... Van Leeuwenhoek looked at the dye underneath uh, these dark nuggets underneath his microscopes, and he determined that the dye was made from definitely the fruit of a tree. He saw through his lenses seeds, stems, the skin of a fruit, and he published his findings, saying, definitely, cochineal is a vegetable. For a few years, this was the definitive proof that people want, wanted. But then, a Spanish governor read his reports and wrote to Leeuwenhoek, saying, no, this is the butt of a fly. Specifically, he said that cochineal came from rotting figs, and as these figs rotted, their flesh transfigured into flies, the butt of which was made into cochineal. Specifically, the hind quarters and wings. Hmm. At the time, there was a belief in a kind of thing called a wormberry, which Pliny wrote about, Pliny the Elder, you may have heard of him. He wrote that sometimes plants turn into insects as they, like, age. And this was, like, during a time when the idea of spontaneous generation, that rotting meat spawned flies out of nowhere, was a thing. Because we didn't know about eggs, about little fly eggs. So that wasn't too weird. So Lewenhoek, you know, said, oh, that's not too weird. I'll look at it again. He's like, oh, yeah, that's definitely an insect. Now he saw antennae, he saw eyes, he saw wings, he saw legs. He's like, definitely a fly, definitely a fly. And he published that. But the second report... It convinced the scientific establishment, but not the public. All that that did was cast doubt upon whether microscopes were worth your time or not. Because if you looked through a microscope and saw two wildly different things, how could, could a, how good could a microscope be? I think I would be in that <laughs> in that bucket of someone who's like, no, this is a vegetable. It's like, wait, no, some guy wrote me a letter. Definitely an insect. <laughs> Trust me, guys. Trust me. I saw it through a microscope. You know one of those things everyone knows about? That everyone has? That only I am able to make ones this good, and I'm not willing to share my methods. You know, one of those. What if it's both? Because they squeeze the beetles, and then, um, you know, fruit and flies that they've eaten have popped out of the butt. <laughs> and because they squeezed it so much. Yeah, right. It comes right out of the butt. That's where it, that's where it all comes from. Where does it come from? Uh, it does come the from mouth? the mouth. But no, it comes out of the body. Like they, oh, you they squish the it, thorax, squish it. You squish it. Yeah. Oh, all, like, they don't survive. Out. No, 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 you no. Don't. it's not like little. It's not like being milked. It's not like milking no. <laughs> little insects. No, it's not like they have little udders that you like. Oh, and little red red dye comes out. And that would be so gross to watch too. <laughs> uh, only if you had a microscope. That's true. You could use little tweezers to milk it. And we all know those don't work. That's right. Microscope microscopes are garbage. You heard it here first on Anachronismo. So the nature of the dye remained a mystery. We're going to skip ahead of it. That all took place like 1686-ish. Now we're up to the 1700s. And in the 1700s, gambling was huge. And people would bet not just on games of chance, but on basically anything. Duels, foot races, the next day's weather, anything. 
the London Times declared in 1754, there is nothing, however trivial or ridiculous, which is not capable of producing a bet. When did the Book of Guinness World Records come out? Uh, that came out after Guinness was a thing, so about a century later. Because oh. Guinness it did eventually start as a method of resolving bets. Yeah, bar bets. But, I mean, it won't tell you what the weather is tomorrow. Fun, no. I bet there's a fun story there. We should look into that. So, some notable bets of the time include the Count de Buckberg trying to ride his horse backwards from London to Edinburgh for a large sum of money. That's so far. Yeah, and we're not sure if he made it or not, because the result of that bet was not recorded. Oh, they meant he disappeared forever after that time. He vanished without a trace, taken by backwards bandits. And they couldn't follow the tracks, because they didn't know which way they were going. They just ended up at London. How did this horse come from the ocean? How did it get from the top of this cliff to London? <laughs> also, the Comte d'Artois wagered Marie Antoinette that he could construct a palace in two months. This wager we actually do have the results of. He hired 900 laborers to work around the clock and built the Bagatelli Palace in just 64 days. So, well done, Comte d'Artois. And finally, we have our friend Melchior de Rousseau. So, Melchior de Rusticher, we don't know a lot about him, except for what he wrote about his bet, basically. He mel melted rusty chairs a lot? That's right. Melchior de Rusticher melted rusty chairs. That's how you remember his name? That's exactly what he did. He was a rusty chair melter. Well, a sort of blacksmith, you might say. Well, you can probably get some red dye out of the oxidized metal mm -hmm. on mm -hmm. the rusty chair. You just rub it all over your face. Now you're a beautiful, beautiful maiden. I was thinking the rusty chair guy could melt down a rusty chair and then uh, sell a competing dye that outcompetes the other one. Well, interestingly, other competing dyes included matter, which was made of some plants and gave sort of a rusty red-orange-ish sort of color to it. So that's one. But it wasn't didn't really hold fast, and it wasn't a very vibrant red. But it is one of the earliest red dyes known. And it was still in use at the time, but it was for, you know, the pores. So, yeah, what, what we don't we don't know a ton about Rust Chair, except from what we have from his own written accounts. Day 42. <laughs> the chair... The ch rusted chair supply is low. People still make their chairs out of wood. I don't have enough of a sample size to continue. Food is short, and I despair. I fear I will soon die. Yours, Melchior de Drustchair. Kisses his diary as he writes in it. So what we do know is that he was a resident of Amsterdam, who had lived for some years in Spain, and he seems to have been a wealthy, fairly well-educated man. He claims to have believed in the Enlightenment ideals of open communication, collaboration, and scientific inquiry. And he also loved gambling. So while living in Spain, Rousseau had talked with sailors and merchants about Cochineal, and all of them had told him that it was made from a living creature. And he became convinced of this. And when he returned to Amsterdam, he found that most people still there still thought it was a plant. Uh, and he decided to ask his friends about, you know, why they thought everyone here thought it was a plant. So he brought it up one night with some friends, which he described as similarly scientifically minded. And he hoped to clear up the confusion. But he found that even these dudes didn't agree between themselves. And the discussion soon became an argument. And the argument soon threatened to escalate to physical violence. Oh, you're wrong. <laughs> it's, a, it's an insect. No, you're fucking wrong. It's a plant. Gentlemen, gentlemen, you are both wrong. It is made of rusty chairs. When will you learn? <laughs> so to avoid having to fight a duel over a die, uh, Roost Chair and another gentleman, uh, whose name we have unfortunately lost, agreed to settle their disagreement in the matter of the time. They made an enormous bet, which apparently amounted to his friend's entire fortune, and appointed four independent judges to 
judge the facts. I was looking for a better word than judge. Arbitrate. Arbitrate. There it is. To arbitrate the facts. So, wait. So, Rusty Chair. Rust Chair. Rust Chair. Rust Chair. Rust Chair. Was so convinced, based on just the rumors that he had heard from sailors, that he was willing to just throw in this huge pot of money. I mean, he described them more as, like, very confident accounts and that we're all insisting, no, it's a, it's a living creature. It's made from something alive. He describes them as great navigators and men of men of knowledge, I think, men of adventure. Uh, so he clearly held these dudes in high regard. But, yeah, he was that convinced just by secondhand accounts that he was willing to bet an enormous sum of cash, an entire fortune, apparently. Say what you will about him, dude had rusty chairs. No? No, he had melted those all down. Oh, you're right, you're right. Did you read his diary? No, I, I didn't. <laughs> so, Rust... You have to kiss it back or else you can't read the next entry. <laughs> That's right. That's how magic works. That's how magic works. Uh, we all know about how magical kisses work. Come on. What is this, amateur hour? Sweet magical kisses on parchment mean that they have to be kissed back to read. We all know this. This is just science fact. Yeah. Great. Okay. We agree. Yeah, Great, no, good. We're all in agreement. Good. Let's just kiss this podcast to continue. I hope our listeners did, too, because otherwise you won't hear anything after this. I, I felt a butterfly-ish touch on my lips. They kissed back. I know it. So Roostchair had also read uh, the articles I, I mentioned before and even owned a microscope of his own. So he, But he knew that a microscope alone wouldn't give him the incontrovertible proof that he needed. Incon- uncontroversial? Incontrovertible. Incontrovertible proof that he needed. When he looked down his microscope, he saw an insect. But when his friend looked down it, he saw a plant. Clearly, this wasn't going to work. So Roostchair came up with a different strategy. He decided to use the law. So what Roostchair did was he turned to... Go on. Can I guess? Please. Are there different taxation rates for animal products and plant products? And then he got to the bottom of it? Uh, no. No, nothing quite like that. Ooh. That was a good guess, though. That's a good guess. That's that's very very good, but no. I was so excited. I thought that was going to be so it. he was going to use the law. Was he going to He was going to sue bring the, the insects into court? Ha! <laughs> uh, no, he wasn't going to bring the cochineal into court. Okay. All right. Well, I'm out of ideas. And he didn't sue the Spanish. Yes. He tracked down Redbeard. Uh-huh. Said, I knew you when you were Whitebeard. How'd you do that? What'd you do that with? And that's how he found out. Closer. You're, that, was, that was closer, actually. So I'll uh, take it. So, yeah, that's, that's closer. What he did was he turned to his friends that he had made during his time in Spain, Don Pedro Cristobal de Reynoso, who was a scholar and a knight. Don Pedro knew a lot of people in Oaxaca, which was the chief cochineal exporting region of the Spanish colonies, and, and Don Pedro's son Martin was about to make a voyage there. Roostchair asked Don Pedro if his son might have the goodness to take, upon his arrival, the affidavits necessary to know if Cochineal was a little living animal. He asked people to testify about the nature of the dye. Kind of like asking Redbeard, Redbeard, how his beard gets so red? How his beard gets so red? Little tiny bugs. (laughs) I look beautiful. They grow there. They said I was a fool for not getting my this, my beard out of my way while eating that sandwich. But look, all those breadcrumbs have turned into beautiful, beautiful insects. Yar, they no be thinking that me tiny beard insects have any use, but they reddens me beard and keeps me happy. 
and itch constantly, even as I sleep. That's why I'm so mean. My voice changed from earlier, because I ate an insect by accident. So, Don Pedro and his son agreed to help, and Martin, upon arriving in Oaxaca, wrote to Don Pedro's friends asking for their testimony. He was upfront that this testimony would be shared with foreigners who believed that cochineal came from a plant, uh, and that it would be to settle a bet. Upon receiving the letter, the region's governor, Don Juan Bautista Fortuno, agreed to testify, as did a dozen other Oaxacans and a local native Oaxacan chief whose people had cultivated it for millennia. So was this revenge by the Oaxacans? Uh, no. Like, no? Not really. So here's the thing about the Oaxacans is the Oaxacans are the people were the people who survived the genocide. Mm -hmm. Um, And the reason they did that was because they betrayed everyone else Uh, who lived on that continent. Okay. They literally were like, hey, we hate these people and we want to rule this continent. Yo, dog, let us open these gates for you. And they like helped kill all of their people there. They didn't do what like super great for themselves afterwards, but they were still allowed to like live on their land and like keep raising cochineal and like keep their crops and their families and not be genocided. But if it weren't for the Oaxacans in the first place, the Spanish conquest of South America probably wouldn't have worked. So were they then tricked into giving up this trade secret? Or they just... Uh, They were one of the main producers of it. it. Depending on if they was grown on their land or on Spanish land, there were some Spanish plantations of it. But... Spaniards didn't want to cultivate Oaxaca because it was really hard. Cochinol uh, only grows on the lopel cactus, and and you uh, to to like plant new ones. There's a whole special method of it. It's very hard to harvest it. You have to pick them off one by one by hand and crush them. You have to crush like thousands to get a good amount. So it was like a whole like family trade, and just Spaniards like didn't want to do it because most of the ones who were there were like former conquistadors or settlers and just like they wanted to like grow crops or live lives of luxury and so they didn't want to like harvest thousands and thousands of tiny insects from cactuses that are very temperamental you know you always probably feel itchy too well you definitely have red hands from all the murder of insects Oh, because I thought from the beginning they were trying to keep this, like, very much under wraps, what it was made of. So they were. And interestingly... I'd like to imagine that it wasn't under wraps, just no one had bothered to ask them. Kind of, yeah. (laughs) So the thing is, there were very strict rules about taking Cochineal out of the country, about giving it to anyone alive. That was not allowed. That was treasonous behavior for, for Spain. You could be hung. But there's no rule in the playbook that says you can't just tell somebody what it is. I'm sorry. I missed the difference. So... If they had asked for the live insect, none of these dudes would have cooperated. They would all tell them to fuck off, right? Oh, Because that, that was treason. That was stealing the thing. That would have betrayed their whole country. Got it. But there was no law of any kind saying, like, you can't just fucking tell people. I totally misunderstood you and thought that you couldn't tell a living person what it was. <laughs> just visit graves and I'd be like, they're bugs. It's all bugs. <laughs> That's what I thought you were saying, and I was very confused. So they had to hide a a stenographer in a graveyard uh, and wait for someone to wander by uh, with a heart full of secrets. And that's how they got the info. Sometimes you hear what you want to hear. (laughs) And Jackie wants to hear that only dead people can learn about what Cachiniel is. Ghoulish as she is. Yeah, so these dudes, they wouldn't have helped if they'd asked for a live bug. But they saw giving testimony as harmless, and this is a matter of honor. So they gave their word. They, too, had been influenced by the uh, ideals of the Enlightenment. And people were starting to see all over Europe the whole thing of, like, secrecy as being a bit embarrassing, really. Like, old-fashioned, of, like, keeping all these secrets about how things worked. So 
These 12 men all testified to the true nature of Cochinio. They said it was indeed a living animal, a small insect that lived on a local species of cactus, Lofal cactus. The domesticated species of Cochineal was fragile and covered in downy white fuzz. It had been bred from wild Cochineal, which has a thick woolly coating that insulates it from extreme weather, but which give, but unfortunately wild Cochineal gives poor quantities of dye. So the locals, the natives, had bred it for millennia to increase its its um, its output and had eventually come up with one gave four times the amount of dye that, that a wild cochineal did. But in doing so, it lost its downy white fuzz, so it was much more vulnerable to, to temperatures. And it you know, couldn't really take anything but a very specific climate. They actually took it up into the mountains uh, during the summer so it wouldn't get too, so, too hot to live and just expire. Uh, there was a whole, like, a whole tradition around it. That's so cool. I'm just imagining baskets and baskets full of bugs. Yeah, basically. They they would take yeah they would fill they fill woven baskets full of bugs and like they would cross the ones they would well, you know be be harvesting and then the pregnant females they would carry up into the mountains so part of why they were all willing to testify was actually that they didn't think that they, it was in danger of being smuggled out of the country because it would just surely die as soon as it was on a boat or like taken like into the sea air because if it got too dry it died if it got too wet it died if it got, got too cold it died if it got too hot it died. You know, if, it, it, if you fed it, if you fed it on the wrong type of cactus, it died. If you cut the cactus wrong to transplant it, it died. Like it was so absurdly fragile. So yeah, these affidavits covered the basic nature of Cochineo. The governor's affidavit actually concluded: to doubt that Cochineo is a living animal is the same as saying that the sun does not shine. Wow, one seems a lot more obvious than the other. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, one's much bigger and more on fire. Here, get that telescope out of yours. Let's see what this sun really is. My god, it's bugs. It's just a big dung beetle pushing a big flaming ball of dung. <laughs> Take the next, just like, I knew it. <laughs> I, I knew that the sun was... Oh, now I'm mad. <laughs> Could have won so many bets. Could have ruined so many of my acquaintances. <laughs> so, um, in 1726... These affidavits and certificates of authenticity of the authenticity of these affidavits themselves made their way to Roostchair three years after the bet was made. It was a pretty fast turnaround time, considering it was like a whole voyage back and forth. Soon after, he and his friends met with their impartial judges, who found that this te- this testimony very convincing. You know, at the time, a gentleman's word was their bond, and the judges were like, "There is no way that they convinced twelve different dudes." To give false testimony. There's no fucking way that 12 dudes would give their oath and then lie. And they granted that Roostchair was in the right. They also, like, wanted no part of this very large man-ruining bet. Like, okay, you're right, and for scientific inquiry, you are right. Please drop the bet. Put in a written article saying that your friend doesn't have to pay this, because this is fucked up. And Roostchair, to his credit, was like, yeah, that is pretty fucked up, and, like, dropped the, the bet. I don't he can know. just buy me a beer next time <laughs> and refund me for this entire scientific endeavor that I had to hire that guy's son to. Oh, well, he was already going on that trip. Uh, but you got to pay him for his hours, you know. Yeah, that's true. He's got to. Gotta... He interviewed at least twelve guys. Yeah, sends you. Convince uh... them all to lie. <laughs> to me, it sounds like some of these judge arbiters were placing a few side bets when he came back and got the evidence. It's like, wow, you're right, but. Call off the bet. Call off the bet. Call off the bet. Call off the bet. Just 
Call off the bet. Be a gentleman. Be a gentleman and call off the bet. Bruce Chair. My family has married into his family. Call off the bet. Bruce Chair, you're being a real dick, Bruce Chair. Hope you fucking die on that rusty chair. He, he didn't have any more rusty chairs. Establish that. Well, by, it was three years later. He'd gotten some more rusty chairs. Probably bought some iron chairs and left them by the sea. Oh, just give me... Looks Lick. like I'm... Like I just said, gibberish. Sea air makes things rust. Fine. Fine. So he dropped his right to his friend's fortune, and he published his findings in the book. And I'm going to manual this, because this is in Dutch. Natural like history van de cochineal, or a natural history of the, of the cochineal, which included the story of his bet and how he made his findings. It was published in Spanish, Dutch, and French, so as to reach as wide an audience as possible. And it forever put to bed the animal versus plant debate. And, footnote, opened up a lot of people trying to steal cochineal from Spain. And uh, dying in the process, or going mad in the process, or ruining themselves in the process. Lots of stuff. Going crazy trying to find the udders on an insect. (laughs) A contemporary later wrote, it is perhaps the first time that a question of natural history has been dealt with and decided by rule of law. Like, how many years was it after the scientist was going back and forth on whether it was a plant or an animal that Roost Chair came along? Uh, so Lewin Hoke wrote his findings up in the 1680s, and Roost Chair published his findings in 1729. So about a 40-year period between those two, between microscopes being discredited. And for nobody to just ask. (laughs) Yeah. Well, there was, like, I I skipped over a lot of history of people um, people thinking different things. Even Spain, like, Spain wasn't sure for a long time. And, like, a lot of various, like, theories and counter theories. And, like, people would use the Bible to try and figure out what, like, the stuff in the New World was. Because that was, like, the definitive scientific book that they, like, understood the world by for a while. Like, Pliny the Elder... And all sorts of shit like that. Um, I skipped over that because it kind of boggled the story down. But if you want to learn more about it, listeners out there, and also Noel and Jackie, uh, I would really recommend uh, picking up the book A Perfect Red by Amy Butler, which is all about the history of red dye and of cochineal. That's where I took the story from. Um, yeah, I you know, did, a little, did a little extra research on the, uh, from there as well. But you can find most of what I've talked about in there and more details besides. Uh, and I really recommend it. It's really well written, um, and it's it's wild, the history of red dye. It is buck wild. Any hypotheticals for us? What's something you would make an extravagant and needless wager over? Something that I currently don't know, or I'm trying to think of something that like I've heard secondhand that I would be like totally willing to bet a ton of money on or maybe just some sort of wild feat of uh, endurance or skill that you think someone or, or yourself could uh to, could commit i don't know i feel like the the times we live in are so different that i could just google the answer immediately mm-hmm. that i i feel like the amount of time between uh between making the bet and not knowing makes you more likely to bet really large and extravagant things because punishment is far away yeah that's fair. So it would have to be some sort of feat of strength, then, that you would have to accomplish, is what I'm hearing. Feat of strength or skill, like building a palace or riding a horse backwards. Yeah, yeah. I think it would have to be something where I would have confidence in myself to yeah, do something rather than something objective. You'd have to believe in yourself, is what yeah. you're saying. Mm-hmm. 
the flat earth flat earth theory against the flat earth theory <laughs> let me just uh clarify that yeah uh yeah no i feel like that one should be in the back <laughs> i feel like you'd have trouble finding someone to take that bet i mm, i don't know there you you one hear one. about these people just crop up that are like they earth don't. is flat they'll acknowledge that mars itself is round but that the earth is flat. Then I feel like you couldn't convince them in a way that would get them to pay up. Yeah, but I don't have to convince them. I have to convince the judges. So yeah. Oh, that's true. Yeah. So how would you prove that the earth is round? If the judges aren't conspiracy theorists, then you would just... Well, it would be a long walk around <laughs> the earth. Like, a hot the... air balloon around it. Got yeah. It. Prove that it's round. Yeah. I would take a really long rope. And attach it to a hot air balloon and ride that hot air balloon around the earth. Or like a string of Cheerios. Just boxes and boxes of Cheerios, like a little breadcrumb trail. What if birds? In space? What? No. <laughs> space birds. You're making them fly around okay. the earth to prove it's a circle? Plastic. Fear? Birder theory, yeah. 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 All right, then plastic Cheerio lookalike. Oh, no, what you do is you ask the lizard man who lived beneath the earth's crust... To show that you can burrow down and come out the other side. You can burrow down a disc and come out the other side. That's fair. That's fair. Is there another side? It would take a lot. Is that part of flat earth? Are there two sides? Or is it just one side? Is it coin earth or is it pancake earth? Which one doesn't have other sides? (laughs) (laughs) Is it? uh, That's fair. That's fair. That's fair. There's not much that only has one side. There's always another side. side to it. But, like, is that other side inhabited or inhabitable on, in flat yeah. earth theory? Yeah, I don't know. You mean in fiction? <laughs> like, what's going on on the other side? Well, yeah, but it's still interesting. Yeah, I want to know what they think. Like, are they like, yeah, the other side is China? Or are they like, yeah, the other side is Nega Earth, where our shadows live? I'm, I'm curious about that. I, I want to look Nega it up. Earth one. That sounds way more interesting. This sounds like something we could bet on. Yeah. Yeah. But there's not objective, like, two choices. Yeah. I think I'd want my feet to be, like, a cake decorating contest mm. kind of thing. Like, you would decorate the best cake? Or they'd, like, tell me a design they want to see, and I'd have to try and execute it. Because I feel like that's something that I'd be like, yeah, I could totally do that, and then really am not good at. Yeah, that'd be pretty funny to watch. You know, there's a whole Netflix reality show based entirely around that. Oh, I know about that. <laughs> I would like to be on that show. Uh, nailed it. If you're listening to this, please email us at itsanachronismo at gmail.com, and we will send you Jackie. Thanks. She will come to your house. You will just give her a dish to try to replicate. She will ruin your kitchen in trying to replicate it, and then give it to you and say, nailed it. Yep. What would I do, I hear you ask? No. no. Wait, Max, what would you do? Yeah, Max, what would you do? I would have a challenge to recommend good comic books to people that they would like. Oh, that's a nice one. Comic books... Science fiction, fantasy novels, history books. Like, be like, I can find one that anyone will enjoy. Name any specific person, and I will find them, like, a comic book they, they will enjoy. That sounds like a good challenge. Thank you. Listeners, write in. Write in. Uh, yeah. Tell me what you're into, and ask me for a recommendation, and I will give you a good a recommendation of something I think you'd like. Write in to us at initsanachronismo.com or tweet at us. Fuck it. I'll do it. I'll kill, I'll kill anyone. <laughs> <laughs> so, my story... It's not one story, it is three in the theme of animals with human jobs. Wait, is this an instance of historical dogs? No. Oh. There are no dogs no in this dogs? story. No dogs? There are no dogs in this story. Well, never mind then. We don't get to do the historical dogs uh, historical dogs theme. Max, I could lie. I mean, no, we just, this is a truth podcast. Yeah, we, and we can't just expand it to be all historical animals, because then, then we're just, you know. Okay, so we're done? Yeah, we're done. Turn off the mics. <laughs> Click. Okay, do we do we want to go with 
historical animals that are not dogs? You look really sad. Yeah, let's do it. Cool animals that are not dogs. Well, the way I had it, I pictured it was just all three of us chorusing on historical dogs. But uh, historical animals that aren't dogs, we do that too. <laughs> One, two, two three. three. Historical, historical animals, animals that, that are, are not dogs. dogs. Noel didn't know work. what we were saying and just mumbled through that whole thing. Yes, I was half a beat off. Um, yeah, so I have three... Stupid animals with human faces. Uh, no, sorry, I'm not gonna say stupid animals. They were smart animals. Three smart animals with human jobs. So the first one, and we're gonna go in historical order and connect the dots. So the first is a uh, jack. Anyone want to take a crack at what kind of animal he is? It's a jack. He acted as a jack. His name is Jack. His name is Jack. Oh, I thought you meant he lifted stuff up. No. I was gonna say elephant. Mm-hmm. Nope. Uh, man. No, no, <laughs> just no. Woman. No. Homo sapien. No. Homo habilis. Oh, you crafty with your <laughs> with your Latin. Um, I don't think so. Mm, no, they've been extinct for millennia. Yeah, I was right. <laughs> Jack sounds like a cute little seafaring polar bear. Nope. Was it perhaps a rabbit? Nope. Kangaroo. Nope. You guys give up? We going through the whole. Uh... We have to go through all human jobs. I mean, animals. I all forgot what we were getting. I forgot what we were getting. Teenager. No. No. Infant. No. Toddler. No. Oh my god. I forgot what we were guessing. What kind of animal <laughs> <Okay>. it was? <laughs> Fish. <laughs> no. Um. Ferret. Nope. Snake. Nope. Mouse. I'm going to feel really silly if I actually mentioned this at the start. Uh, I forgot in the start. You did say bear. You mentioned a bear and you mentioned a... Yeah, so I definitely did mention the other animal. Yeah, I mentioned a bear and you mentioned a... Um... I don't remember. I don't remember I'll just keep guessing. Cat. Nope. Bat. Bobcat. N- nope. Bobbat. No. Baboon. Yes. Really? Yeah, a baboon. Oh, yeah. Hooray! You baboon. Didn't, you didn't say baboon before, I don't think. No, you didn't say Oh, baboon. maybe not. All right, cool. Well, Jack the Baboon, who was assistant railway signalman in South Africa. So this is a story of a person that uh, there was this guy called James Jumper Wide who uh, worked at the (laughs) (laughs) who uh, worked at the railway station in the Cape Town Port Elizabeth Railway. And he had a habit of just for a laugh, just jumping between railroad cars. And uh, one day, he Died. miscalculated, got under a train, which proceeded... It was moving, too. He yeah. was jumping from moving train cars to other train cars and uh, got his legs just cut right off. Ooh. Yeah. So, kept his job, got two wooden peg legs, but um, just had difficulty getting around the actual station. He you know, was in charge of just changing the tracks based on, like, uh, signals and, you know handing off keys to conductors. So he was in the marketplace, and there was a baboon there that was actually trained to pull a cart. And so he purchased this baboon named Jack and had the baboon, like, actually, uh, I believe, push his wheelchair around so he could operate the signals at the station. Oh, cool. Yeah. Yeah. But where it gets cooler was that he started training 
Jack to do some of the signal transfers and like hand off items to conductors like keys like uh, basically like um the train had a number of whistles for whatever they were doing like in pulling in or leaving a station and the baboon you know would watch jack do it would imitate it and like actually got trained up the signals and so he would actually do the work and then they actually people reported that there was a baboon working at the train station and so they came in to investigate it and fired Jack. They, hired the baboon. They did it. They kept them both on. And they actually started giving um they actually like officially employed the baboon. Well, you know what they say. Do what you love and the monkey will come. What was the name of the human in this story? James Jumper Wide. Oh, I was hoping it was also Jack. So um James and Jack, did they live together? Don't have those details. I assume they did though. It's roommates. I'd, I'd watch that show. Yeah. Jack's got the top bunk. James got the bottom bunk. Yeah, makes sense. Got a line drawn down the middle of the apartment. They because, fight over doing dishes. Because Jack is tidy and James is messy. But then they put aside their differences to work on the railway because they realize that it's more important. Oh, and they both... Get to their things safely. They both ask the same baboon lady out for a date to the prom. What? The Cape Town Port Elizabeth Railway Prom? (laughs) (laughs) It's the social event of the season. I can't be there without a date. (laughs) Well, maybe we just both ask her. (laughs) Okay, okay. Stop attacking my face. Um... But yeah, uh, Jack became officially employed, got paid 20 cents a day, and they gave him half a bottle of beer. What was James week. making? I uh, About the same. Probably. <laughs> that would be really sad. James finds out. It's like, sorry, James, you have to find out like this. He's making double what you make. I only get a quarter bottle a week. This isn't fair at all. At least I got all the bananas I can eat. In that case, then Jack has to have more bananas than he can possibly eat. He's <laughs> just a real fat baboon. <laughs> And eventually that, he gets so fat he has to be in a wheelchair too, and he hires another baboon from the market to push him around. No, at this point he's got to go full circle and he has to hire a human. Ooh, that's true. So that didn't happen. Baboon worked for, uh, Jack worked for nine years. Did Jack have a uniform? Um. Did he wear a hat? I would have to see on that. I don't think he did. But some of the animals in my other stories do. Yay! Animals wearing human clothes. So... Doing human jobs. Second animal. Having human heartbreak and human types of loves. They're more human than us. Um. All right. So the second animal, Jackie is the name of the second yeah, animal. Jackie and Jack. Jackie and Jack. Wait, are what? these all animals named Jack? Is that the no, 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 no. <laughs> but what's the connecting point, do you think, between Jack and Jackie? They both got paid half a bottle of beer. Is this one a bear? Nope. Both baboons. Yep. They met at prom. They, they were... met at prom. No, this was years later, but they were both South African Chakma baboons. So this one, though, Jackie, was actually in World War One. I. I'm going to show a little picture of Private Jackie. Oh, she's with its... wet. Well, I think wearing, it's actually hit. Uh, I think it was a he. He's wearing a full military uniform complete with boots. He's up on hitched up on this guy's hip. Yeah, boots are terrible for a monkey. They 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 their their feet are hands. They need those. This baboon was discovered on um that uh, soldier's it just grew out of homestead. Um, and so that 
person's name was Albert Marr. And so um, when World War One started, a lot of people were enlisted for the army. And so this man actually asked the higher ups in the military if he could bring his pet baboon with him. And so the baboon like actually got officially enlisted. So got a uniform, got like a just checkbook or like whatever, like for a payment. I don't know if they did like vouchers or whatever. And uh, well, I don't know like what you do with that. Just like, first of all, <laughs> getting an, a, a monkey or an ape in this case to understand the concept of money is one thing. But the concept of vouchers... <laughs> Uh, is just is is a whole another level, and I I want you to just acknowledge for a second the leaps that it would take for a baboon to get there. The baboon that got paid twenty cents a week definitely didn't know what that was. Let's just yep. let's just say that, okay? And a baboon getting vouchers, yep, it's gonna eat those. It's gonna immediately put those in its mouth and. Well, them. maybe Albert managed all the money in that situation, but okay, well, soldiers that's... just got distributed out their items, and so. I'm a little disturbed that they had, like, a child-sized uniform just hanging out, ready for this baboon. Maybe it was a special uniform. Maybe it wasn't a child's uniform that they then repurposed for a baboon the size of a child. You gotta have hope. That's what history's about. It's about hope. Uh, Okay. Maybe it was for a secret baboon corps. But not enough enlisted. (laughs) This is just the one. They had a bunch of uniforms left over that they had made up because they thought it was such a great idea, but then not enough baboons signed up. Maybe just shrunk in the wash. They just kept, they took a regular size uniform, they kept washing in hot water over and over again. That's like, just going to work. <laughs> it has to work. So yeah, no, the, uh... It has to work. <laughs> We've got to clothe this monkey. He's out of uniform. This has to work. No soldier goes naked into battle. <laughs> How will we know he's on our side? Um. <laughs> Mix him up with all the baboons on the opposite. Oh, this is World Battle. War One or two? This is World War One. Yeah, all the kraut baboons. Those German baboons. I mean, but maybe they'll have uniforms, so we'll know our baboon because it will be the only baboon not in a uniform. We can't take that chance. This has to work. <laughs> <laughs> and like then it gets into this like huge like military drama thing where it like just comes to like a skirmish and like the two baboons like get into a fight they rip their uniforms off and they're like on a rooftop he's like <gasps> like this albert bar guy's like i don't know which one to shoot <laughs> shoot the monkey that speaks german <laughs> <laughs> Other one speaks German. Quick, what's a German word he might know? Das Banana. <laughs> and a leg leaps towards him. Goo, goo, goo. Oh, thank God. War is tough. <laughs> War is hell. And then there's apes. War is bananas. B-A-N-A-N-A-S. Anyway... <laughs> So this, uh, no, so the baboon really just was more of a mascot for the troops. Like, you know, they could treat it, they could teach it tricks. (laughs) He wasn't in the cavalry? (laughs) No, they didn't really put him on the front lines. No, it was just kind of like, I guess they just could teach him tricks, like, you know, how to salute and stuff, like really simple things. Um, (laughs) They didn't give him any weaponry or anything. I mean, he could work the signals. 
Ooh, if that train conductor taught us anything. Yeah, I mean, why would you waste a baboon on saluting when it could be doing important things like moving trains around? I mean, ask the French and the Hartlepool monkey, you know? That's another monkey that uh, was dressed in a little uniform for people's amusement. But that monkey came to a bad end. He paid the ultimate price for his country. Yeah, it's true. Yep. See episode... I'm going to edit in one episode here. Uh, Hartlepool monkey. Oh yeah, we did. We have done animals with jobs. You were so. You were, yeah, we do it a lot. We do it all the time. We have a specific segment for it now, Noel. Um, yeah, but the the thing uh, about Jackie the baboon was that he was actually often on the front line. So there, monkey saw a lot of action. Monkey do a lot of action. <laughs> he just picks up a gun. Whoa! Or <laughs> <Forest> bananas. <laughs> But no, he did not actually fire a gun. I really wish he did, but he didn't. But no, on the front lines, though, there was one time they were getting um, shrapneled and not shrapneled. Shot at? Shelled. And uh, well, it would have been better to bring a turtle. Edit in the laughter, Max. This is no edit. I don't understand the turtle. Oh, because he has his. Max has got a shell. Oh. 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 Ah, <laughs> yes. <laughs> Jackie looks so disappointed. I'm disappointed in myself. They were getting shelled once, and they said that the saddest thing about the story is they said that they saw Jackie like trying to put up a little like actually stack rocks to protect himself. Oh, which is so heartbreaking! Sad because he actually took a he took a piece of shrapnel to the leg, and they had to amputate it. No, war is bananas, as we've gone over multiple times. What human person died because they took care of this monkey? It was worth it. <laughs> so, in a view of uh, Jackie's bravery, he was promoted to corporal and awarded a medal. So that monkey can order around human soldiers <laughs> now. <laughs> in theory. Just <laughs> learn English first. Check thing. out this picture. That's definitely a monkey ordering around a little girl. Oh, so they did have those child soldiers we were talking about. Yes. That is a very cute monkey. I know, is right? Is he missing a leg in that picture? I can't tell, really. So yeah, then he, uh, then he retired, went back to the uh, the old family farm. Did Albert survive? He did. Good. Good. Yeah. So did they live in South Africa? Yes. Okay. So yeah, Jackie lived there until 1921. And Albert Marr lived on until 1973. Next animal. Next animal. Okay, so this last animal. Possum. We've already, we've, I think, been over this twice now. What oh. animal it is? Oh, possum. But what? So we know it's a bear. But what's? <laughs> what do you think? Beaver. Is the uh, connection? Muskrat. Jackie and uh, war bear. War bear. More specifically, Wojcik. Wojcik the war bear. Wojcik the war bear. But you know what he shares in common with both Jack and Jackie. They were all weasels. No. All of the same date to the Cape Town prom. Nope. <laughs> so, like Jack the Baboon, Wojciech was paid partially in beer. And like Jackie the Baboon, he served in the military and was also promoted to corporal. Because <laughs> they just passed those out. <laughs> I think that's your best bet to rise in the military. It's to be an animal. Yeah. Disguise yourself as an animal. Wojciech was in World War II. He was actually purchased by, um, I guess, Polish refugees moving from uh, Russia 
down to Tehran, and they came across uh, an Iranian boy who had a bear that he had trained to do tricks. Uh, its mother had been killed, and so they purchased the bear and kind of kept it as a mascot, as you do. They often fed him beer, um, and apparently he also learned how to salute when greeted. <laughs> Love I know, there's saluting. so many connections. And so when World War II broke out, there were Polish Corps coming out of Egypt to go to and fight in Italy. And so um, some of these court members wanted to bring to bring Wojciech with them. So in order to do that, he had to enlist, in which he also got... He did not get a uniform, but he did get he another a pack like of cigarettes a week. <laughs> well, no, he actually I got did a read, cool hat. I did read he actually did enjoy eating cigarettes. <laughs> um, That's but, so bad for animals. Yeah, so he got all his military benefits, and then he actually had was in the near the front lines of a battle where they actually used him to transport twenty five pound artillery shells out to uh, to mortars. Oh. And he didn't drop any of them. And so they made this the official <gasps> insignia. It's a bear carrying a shell. Is that how he carried them? I, I don't know. I think, he no, no. He have been strapped no, to no, his no. back. And he's carrying yeah. them, like, over his shoulder in his, like, arms. Because like, he, was, he was actually the, carrying the multiple ones, like, in crates. So, yeah, probably on a wagon or some kind of sled. Um, so, yeah. Uh, <laughs> that picture implies that he was also loading the cannons. <laughs> bears gotta do what a bear's gotta do. Gotta kill those damn Nazis. There's, like, this Italian fortification that... Hold on a second. I'm trying to set up a bit here. Assemble this meticulously like a clockwork maker making a watch. A clockman. So, yeah, he's got, like, he... It's, like, <laughs> the other, like, mortarmen are downed and so it's his job to load the shells and shoot them and like he you know the battle turns and the italian forces are surrendering and they're like we surrender and he just is like it's too late guys looks like you should have settled for the bare necessities and then he became a huge war criminal (laughs) yeah because you're definitely not supposed to do that once they surrender can't fire on surrender but he was a bear how is he supposed to understand well they shouldn't have enlisted him in the army if he couldn't understand the rules of war well it was kind of a special favor the geneva convention does not make exceptions for bears uh wasn't around yet oh you're right you're right they made one exception for a bear never again so yeah post-war he um it's like a good way to get around Geneva Convention. Is just to things. get just animals to do it. Train animals to do it. Train animals to commit war crimes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, animals with flamethrowers is a great idea. For Actually, me. yeah, that's a pretty great idea. <laughs> yeah, put up that Kickstarter. I mean, I gotta find a. I gotta decide which cause is near and dear enough to my heart to uh, enter war. That doesn't stop people from putting things up on Kickstarter before they're ready. <laughs> Can you guys vote on which war you think I should involve my animal? If we hit our stretch goals, we'll have two wars. <laughs> I saw little tiny birds that will drop poison on your enemies. I call them Mercer Canaries. Um, so yeah, uh, Wojciech uh, retired to the Edinburgh Zoo after the war. And uh, yeah, just kind of became a celebrated figure. Got a few uh, statues of himself put up. He didn't go back to Tehran or Poland? No, Edinburgh Zoo. All right. Where heroes go. I feel like they should have asked him. He also is there with the horse that rode backwards from London. Well, the horse's skeleton. It's been a while. 
But they don't let you out of the zoo once you're in the zoo. So there's two statues of him, one in uh, Krakow and one in Edinburgh. I've seen the one in Edinburgh. What? Yeah, when I was there last uh, summer. It's very cool. Animals and human jobs. My question for you is, what would you put as the fourth in the series? Like, what's the next step? You have a baboon rail conductor to a baboon military uh, personnel. Bear military. To bear military personnel. Where are you going to take this next? Um, I think I want a bear in the Peace Corps because I want a peaceful world. No more war. It's like, hey, we just saved that whale. Stop taking a bite out of it. I don't know any better. <laughs> I'm a bear-scenary. That's right, bear-scenary. That's it. Uh, Mercerberry. I'm a Mercerberry. <laughs> Humanibarian. Oh, humanibarian. Oh, oh, that's so cute. That's so cute. I feel like we're bearsonifying this quite a lot. Humanibarian. Um, oh. I I think I'd bring it back full circle and have a bear train conductor. That could be. That's a civilian job. Yeah. 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 Well, we've all, no, we've already got Paddington Bear, don't we? So. He's just named after a station. He doesn't work at the station. Yeah. There's one of the, I think in oh, one no, of the books, he... he conducts a train. I've only seen one of the new movies. Uh, how about a um, bear therapist, a bearapist? Wouldn't you want to tell a bear your deepest fears and secrets and anxieties and hear it just go? To shrug them off? I don't know how I'd feel about that. I guess not. It might put it into perspective, though, because then he'd be like, I should be afraid of this bear, but I'm not. Maybe I shouldn't be afraid of these things that I think I'm afraid of. I should be afraid. Of this bear. Done it again. <laughs> Maybe t- every time I'm confronted with an uncomfortable situation, I should just lie down and pretend to be dead. Thank you, therapist. You <laughs> cured me. That'll be $70 for the hour. That's a good price. That's a pretty low rate. That's really great. I'm not trained. That well, explains that. I won't report you. There's no rule in the book that says a bear can't be an untrained therapist. <laughs> I think I would go with a uh, bear who specializes, who, like who has a pawn shop specializing in like old military like uh, paraphernalia. Just a retired bear. Yeah, yeah. What would you buy from the bear? What would I buy from the bear? I don't know. What is that bear going to try to sell me? That's the real question. It's true. Like a military style jacket, probably. Maybe yeah. Some like, challenge coins. Pocket knives. <laughs> oh, like him, like rummaging around, like pants in your sides. Uh, this one's pretty good, but it's got all these claw holes yeah, in it. So, <laughs> and he would have like little reading glasses. Oh yeah, yeah, pinchnez. Yeah, this is a very good bear, and like kind of a military vest that he would wear around his shop. Anyway, yeah. So, uh, animal stories. I have to get to bed in twenty minutes, so I'm gonna call it. So that's gonna do it for us tonight. Thanks so much for listening. Please, if you liked us, leave us a review on your favorite pod catcher of your choice. Uh, if you want to contact us, we're at Anac Podcast. That's A-N-A-C Podcast on Twitter. Or it's anachronismo at gmail.com. Yeah, write in with asking for history book recommendations, comic recommendations, fun animal stories, et cetera, et cetera. And uh, we, you know, we have a lot of fun doing this, and we hope you do too. Thanks so much. I'm Max. I'm Noel. And I'm Jackie. And we're going to see you next time here on Anachronismo. Anachronismo.